You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, good afternoon. How are we doing, 12 o'clock? You doing all right? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Well, in case you're new here, uh, uh, we've been in this series called Spiritual Warfare, and we've been looking at the authority that we have as Christian believers over demonic spirits. And remember, we've said that you can step up to your what? Like five people knew that, okay? (laughs) Step up to your authority uh, that you have. And remember, last week we were talking about doorways, and they were the doorways of of demons that somehow uh, when we, uh, through different behaviors and sins and the like, we leave our doors unlocked so that demons can come in and steal from us our peace, our joy, and all the good that God wants us to experience. Well, this week, we're going to look at doors in a little bit different light, okay? Last week, doorways were somewhat negative. This week, doorways are going to be a little bit more positive because doors are actually portals to new dimensions of life. So I want you to think in your mind about some of the doors that have been significant that you've walked through in your life. Remember the first time you went to church? Some of you, the first time you went to church was right here in the Cameo Theater, and remember the first time you walked through these doors and what took place after that time. Some of you remember the door to your first car. You remember what your first car was? And remember when you opened that door, got in there and turned the key, you had a whole new reality and a whole new freedom to get around. Some of you can remember your first house, that door. You can remember the first apartment that you rented. Some in our congregation have been to prison, and you remember the prison door and what was on the other side and how it changed you. Those of you who are parents perhaps remember the first time that you dropped off your child at the elementary school on the first day of kindergarten. Remember that day when you watched that little one with a big backpack on uh, walking down that long walkway, going through that door, and it was a big change for you as a parent, and you know that it was a whole new dimension of living for your child. Well, Jesus had a lot to say about doors. In one story in the book of Luke, Jesus tells us about a man who had some guests over and he didn't have any food to give to his guests. And in a hospitality culture, that's very embarrassing. You've got to have some food for your guests. And so you know what this guy did that wanted to feed his guests? He went next door to his neighbor, and he started knocking on his door. And he kept knocking, and he kept knocking, and he wouldn't quit. And finally, the guy got out of bed. The kids were down and everything. Everybody's waking up in the house. The guy gets up, and he gives his neighbor some bread to feed to his guests, not because of their friendship, but because of his continual knocking. Now, one of my favorite characters on that show, The Big Bang Theory, is Dr. Sheldon Cooper. And uh, so you guys know what I'm about to do next. Right, let's watch some TV for just a minute for fun, okay? Take a look. Penny, 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 Penny. What? Penny. I love that, don't you? And so Sheldon has what we call chutzpah. It's a Jewish term Uh, chutzpah, that means nerve, boldness, guts, or stubbornness. And so when I uh, point to you, I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say that word, chutzpah. Are you ready? Here we go. This should be fun, especially uh, if you don't know the person next to you. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Ready? Wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. It's not chutzpah. 
You gotta, you gotta bust out the like you're coughing up a loogie. Okay, ready? Let's try that again, 12 o'clock. Thank you. Some of you just caught a cold, man. <laughs> Got some germs there if they said it right. But remember, um, chutzpah is like this boldness. It's like audacity. And when you have chutzpah, when you're praying and knocking on, on a door with chutzpah, this kind of boldness, you don't care what anybody else thinks. You're just going before God and you're saying, God, I want to be free from the demons that keep me enslaved, that hunt me. I want to be free. I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to go knocking on some doors with chutzpah. And you see it described. I want to take you to, to Luke 11. Look at verse 9. Uh, Jesus says there, and so I tell you, Keep on asking, and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking, and you'll find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open for you. So chutzpah shows you how deeply your heart wants what's on the other side of that door, the new reality of freedom. Your willingness to continue knocking with chutzpah indicates what your true heart's desire is. And we see a progression in Luke 11, because if you ask, that doesn't take a whole lot of chutzpah, but it takes more effort if you're willing to go looking for something. But the most amount of chutzpah is when you're knocking on a door. You're willing to knock on a door that you don't know so that you can perhaps pass through it. Now, uh, some years ago, there was a guy in the church who came up to me um, and he wanted me to pray with him. And he had uh, wanted to get married, wanted a wife, and he was unemployed at the time, so he wanted a job. And I said, well, let's start praying. And we, he, we prayed and prayed and prayed, and we prayed for a long time. And one day at church, he brings me an envelope, and in the envelope, it has his new business card for his new job that was a great job and a wedding invitation inside there because this guy was willing to keep knocking with chutzpah, and uh, he got a great wife. Well, that's one of those, what I call a pastor glory story, okay? Now, I'm going to talk about glory stories in just a minute, but before I do, I want to give you the big idea for our conversation today is that if you want true freedom in Christ, you have to be willing to knock, keep knocking with what? Thank you. Keep knocking with chutzpah. Now, this guy did that. He got a Pastor Glory Story uh, award, right? Because God answered the prayer. And throughout this series, you've heard a lot of what I call Pastor Glory Stories. You know what I mean? Where there's like this clear resolution to the story. Uh, God does something miraculous and answers the prayer, sets someone free from an addiction or a problem or a demonic issue. But not all stories are glory stories. In fact, you know, someday I need to just give a talk on how uh, I pray with someone or try to minister to someone and nothing happened at all. And you know, some of your stories are in flux right now. They're in process. And honestly, I'm still learning. So I don't have all the answers for everything, but I do know this. Your story will never become one of those glory stories unless you're willing to keep knocking with what? Chutzpah. You can't give up. You have to keep knocking. And so we've had some people in recent days continue to knocking by being willing to go through the whole peel the onion process. In fact, a lot of our folks just graduated from peel the onion class where they explored the deep wounds and hurts and issues in their hearts and lives. And people are experiencing freedom and there are many glory stories from those who just 
finish that process. And then our financial peace class just recently graduated and they were knocking on the door of financial freedom and those folks paid off over $53,000 worth of debt in that tribe. And so we thank God for that, right? But why do some people not have the glory stories? And I'll tell you, one of the reasons why people give up, lose hope, and quit knocking is because of the strongman's strongholds. The strongman's strongholds. Let me read about this from Luke chapter 11. Look at verses 21 through 26. It says, For when Satan, the strongman, who is completely armed, guards his palace, it is safe until someone who is stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off his belongings. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept clean. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. And so basically what it's talking about here is that when Satan or a demon or a strong man is what the Bible calls it, uh, inhabits a person and controls that person and is um, plaguing that person, when someone stronger comes, they can clear them out. Now you have to constantly be filled with the Spirit of God and obedience to Christ to keep them out, right? And you got to keep doing that because seven more evil will come back and the person will be worse off than before. But I want to ask a couple of questions about strongholds. And one of the questions is this, what is a stronghold? I want to clearly define it for you because some of you are new to church and you're like, hey, what do you mean stronghold? What is that? That's like Christianese to me, right? Uh, so what is a stronghold? And then the, the second question is, how do we knock them down or overcome them? So uh, let, me, let me show you a definition of strongholds according to Andy Reese. It's a place within us that contains beliefs, attitudes, and actions that stand in contradiction to God's established kingdom order. When touched, it can feel unassailable, hopeless, and unchangeable. We do not fully control it. We may feel trapped in it. And so what happens is, is that many of us uh, have a stronghold start in us when we're younger, and we experience a wound in our soul. Most of the time, those wounds happen early on in our lives in childhood. And what happens is, in response to that wound, because we don't want to hurt in that way, we create this reality. Um, of, it's actually a false reality. It's our personal perception of the way that the world works and the way things are. And here's what happens. Oftentimes, later in life, something happens that reminds us of that wound that took place when we were children, and it feels like uh, you're, you're getting hit on a bruise, and you have an over-the-top response to that scenario or that circumstance that took place. And then you overreact, or the person that you're around overreacts, and everyone feels like they're walking in an emotional landmine. Have you ever been around someone like that? You thought, that, that is not a big deal. This circumstance is not a big deal, but you're overreacting and everybody else feels like you're trying to punish them or throw down on them or something like that, and it shouldn't be a big deal. Well, oftentimes the person has a stronghold in their life, in their heart. And so uh, here's what the enemy is going to try and do to you. I see this over and over and over again. This is what a strong man does uh, with a stronghold in your heart and your life and your emotions. 
they'll say, that's the way you've always been, and that's the way you will always be. Is that true? No, it's not. We know what to say to that, right? When you hear that lie, I don't what? I don't receive that at all. I do not receive that. I can change. It's not true that that's the way I'll always be. And I want to take you to 2 Corinthians and show you some things that Paul teaches us about this, uh, these strongholds. In 2 Corinthians 10, look at verses 4 and 5. He says, we use God's mighty weapons. Okay, let me stop there just for a minute. Because we're not talking about this battle between two equal forces. God's mighty weapons. God is infinitely more powerful than the devil or any demon. So these weapons that we use to overcome strongholds are like atomic bomb level weapons in the spiritual realm. We use God's mighty weapons, not mere worldly weapons, to knock down the devil's strongholds. With these weapons, we break down every, and we're going to see three things here, proud argument that keeps people from knowing God. With these weapons, we conquer their rebellious ideas, and we teach them to obey Christ. So, when the Corinthians heard this word stronghold, this is what they thought about. I brought a couple of pictures of a place called the Agrocorinth that was just outside the ancient city of Corinth. It was a fortress up on a hill. In the first picture, you can see uh, the amazing view from the fortress of the Agricorinth. In the second picture, you can see more closely the individual stones that were placed in order to create this fortress. And so the ancients would have believed that this place would not come down easily in a military siege. Now, here's where this comes into play in our lives, is that each negative thought that we believed about ourselves was like another stone on the wall of the fortress, of the stronghold in our lives. So every time you believed that you were a nothing and that you were stupid, it placed another uh, rock on the wall. And over many, many years of believing the strong man, we placed these rocks and created this stronghold, this fortress, this fort inside. Now, what God does oftentimes um, is by the little finger of God, if you were to go back and study Luke 11, which is the passage we're focusing in on today, you would see this concept, a Jewish concept of the little finger of God. Sometimes you'll even see Jewish people in the Holy Land do like this. And what they're saying is God has more power in, his, in the tip of his pinky than the whole rest of the universe has in their whole body, Okay. Um, this is the concept and principle, the pinky of God, the little finger of God. And sometimes he will miraculously work and just knock over our stronghold in a moment, a miraculous moment. And I love those stories when that happens. But you know what happens more often? You and I have to do the hard work of taking down the stronghold one stone at a time. You have to keep working. You can't be discouraged when the whole fort's not broken down. But each day, day by day, step by step, moment by moment, as the strong man keeps lying to you about who you are, you just say, no, I don't receive that, and I'm going to take that lie down off my wall right now. And over time, you grow to have more and more freedom in Christ. You have to keep banging on the rock. Now, according to Paul, there are these three ideas about how we can break them down. Number one are the proud arguments. Proud arguments. Demons love 
proud arguments. They love pride and machismo. And when we uh, argue that we don't need anyone's help, we don't need the help of another human being or God for that matter, demons love that. They love it when we're so self-absorbed that we hardly think of the needs of others. They love it when we're controlling of people rather than focusing on gaining self-control in our own lives. They love it when you won't admit that you're wrong. Um, demons love it when you feel like you have to have credit that's due you, whether at job or uh, in the workplace or in the home or whatever. They love it when you think that you're better than other people because of your intelligence, good looks, morality, or job title. See, but we break down these strongholds of proud arguments through prayer. And I'm going to show you a prayer that we can pray together to help break these things down. It goes like this. Heavenly Father, you have said pride goes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before stumbling. I confess that I've been thinking mainly of myself and not about others. As a result, I have given ground to demons in my life. I have sinned by believing I could be happy and successful on my own. I confess that I centered my life around myself instead of you. I agree I've been proud in this area of my life. And then you name the area of pride. Thank you for forgiving me of my pride. I choose to humble myself before you and others. I place all my confidence in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So that uh, prayer is already posted online on our Facebook page. If you would want to refer back to it when you're breaking down proud arguments. But a second area that Paul shows us in which we can break down strongholds is that of rebellious ideas. The Bible teaches us that the rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. They're almost like the same thing. And we grew up in a culture of rebellion. And let me show you how I know this. We have bought into the theology of the Beastie Boys, right? Because they teach us, you got to fight for your right to... Sinners. <laughs> and there's a reason I knew that. Because <laughs> I'm probably the most rebellious of all of you. You know, we're in rebellion when we don't have the capacity to submit to the authorities in our lives. And, and when I think about this, I had to really search my own heart on this one as I was preparing this talk for you. And I want to tell you one of the ones that really gets me when it comes to submission to the government authorities. I'm thinking about, um, I, you know, when you think about voting, and a lot of us in this room, we just can't imagine ourselves like voting for Donald Trump. A lot of us in this room can't imagine ourselves voting for Hillary Clinton. Um, and uh, here's the deal. We don't have to agree with someone's policies or behaviors, but we do, according to the scriptures, have to pray for our government officials, pray for them, and the best we can submit to them unless they ask us to disobey a clear biblical mandate. We also have to submit to parents, to teachers, all the teenagers just said, Pastor Doug, I don't like you today. <laughs> we have to submit to employers, to our spouse. Here's the best one on the whole list, church leaders. <laughs> I like that one. Um, some, of us, some of us want to rebel against God, but we have to submit to God. And like I said, these earthly authorities, human people make mistakes, don't they? 
um, but we still submit and pray for those in authority over us. I wanted to show you a prayer that can be helpful if you struggle with rebellion in your heart. It goes something like this. Heavenly Father, you have said in the Bible that rebellion is the same thing as witchcraft. I know I have not obeyed you in this area and have rebelled in my heart against you and against those you've placed in authority over me. I have been rebellious toward, and then name the authority. Thank you for forgiving my rebellion. I choose now to be submissive and obedient to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. And so after we've taken care of the proud arguments and rebellion, then we're prepared to obey Christ. And we have to obey Christ much like the karate kid had to obey Mr. Miyagi, right? Remember when he told him, wax on, wax right? Wax on, wax off. He just continually did it. He obeyed and he didn't even see the point. And some of us are in those seasons right now. Anybody in that season right now of life, you're just obeying Christ. You don't feel anything. You have no idea why, but someday the master is going to reveal to you that he was building into you instincts to fight off your Cobra Kai, you know? (laughs) See, that's what's going on. That's what God is building into you right now through your obedience. And so hang on to your hope and obey him uh, in this season of time. Now, here's what the strong man wants to do. He wants to keep you in the dark about how God truly views you and how much God cares about you and God's intention for you. So if you ever had the thoughts of, well, you know, God probably really doesn't care about me. He just wants me to fall in line and be one of his minions or something like that. That is not God's heart for you. Let me show you uh, this idea in Luke chapter 9, verse 11. And he compares it to those of us who are earthly fathers. He says, you earthly fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Now, let me take a time out. I'll read the rest in just a minute. But remember, what do snakes and scorpions symbolize in the scriptures a lot of times? The demons, right? Remember Jesus said, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. It's not it's not talking about being one of those, you know, Appalachian snake handlers and, and all of that, but it's symbolic of uh, the demonic that's seeking to destroy our lives. Well, Jesus says God's heart for you is not to give you a snake or a scorpion, but to give you a fish or an egg. He says, you, you earthly fathers know this. Of course you wouldn't do that. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God has desires for you that are beyond what you can dream or imagine. That's His heart for you. He loves you and cares about you, but He knows in order to fulfill it, you have to be willing to keep knocking with what? Chutzpah. Chutzpah. So, Years ago, I read this story uh, about a guy named Bob. It's in a book by John Ortberg called, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. And this story about Bob, Bob was an insurance guy in the Virginia, D.C. area. And he was a new Christ follower, and he was being mentored by a guy named Doug. No relation, great name, but no relation to me. And they were having spiritual conversation one day, and Bob says, hey, Doug, you know, I'm reading this 
uh, verses in the Bible about how you can pray and you can ask God for stuff and he'll answer your prayer. He'll give it to you. Doug, is that legit? I mean, can you really do that? And, and Doug said, yeah, it's actually true. I mean, Bob, you can't just ask for whatever you want, you know, it's not so you can just um, gain all these material possessions or something like that. But if you ask things that are according to God's will, then he will answer your prayers. And he says, I want to challenge you on this, Bob. If you will pray for something for six months, every single day, and nothing happens, I'm going to give you $1,000. But Bob, if you pray every single day for six months and something happens, you got to give me $1,000. So you have a little Christian wagering going on here, all right? So he says, what are you going to pray for? He says, well, I'm going to pray for Africa. And Doug says, well, Bob, isn't that kind of broad? I mean, that's a big continent. Why don't you pray for something more specific? And Bob says, okay, I'm going to pray for Kenya. So he chose the country of Kenya in Africa. And he started praying, and he was praying every single day. And after a long time, nothing, would, nothing had happened until one day, Bob was sitting at lunch with a group of business people, and there were a couple of uh, politicians there. And one lady happened to be from, guess where? Kenya. Kenya. Okay, he can see $1,000 about to fly out of his wallet, right? And they get to talking, and she tells him about the orphanage that she runs in Kenya and how it's the largest orphanage uh, in the country. And she invites Bob to come and visit. So Bob gets in a plane, gets on a plane, and he, he flies to Kenya. He visits the orphanage. His heart is moved by the conditions of the children there and their needs. And he realizes, hey, I know a lot of people in the pharmaceuticals uh, industry. And so he writes these letters asking them if they can make donations of medical supplies that they would have thrown away. Well, to Bob's surprise, these companies like reply to his letters and they give him over a million dollars worth of medical supplies for these children at this large orphanage. And he was so excited to take the donations back. So he takes it all uh, to the orphanage. They have a big party there. And since it was such a big orphanage, the president of Kenya came uh, to this party and celebration and hit it off with Bob. And they end up on a car ride touring the uh, capital city there uh, of Kenya. And as they're driving around, Bob says, hey, what's that strange-looking building over there? And the president said, well, it's a prison for political prisoners. And Bob says, well, I don't think that's a very good idea. I think you should let them go. Well, they continue their car ride. Bob ends his trip in Kenya. He flies back to the United States. And when he gets home, he gets this phone call from the United States State's Department. They get on the phone, and the guy on the other side of the line says, Bob, have you recently traveled to Kenya, Africa, and spoken to uh, the president of Kenya? Well, yeah. Well, did he ask you about political prisoners? And Bob said, yes, he did. The State Department guy said, well, what did you tell him? Bob said, I told him he should let him go. I didn't think it was a very good idea. The guy said, Bob, do you realize we've been trying for years to get those prisoners released, and they're being released right now? <laughs> yeah. So needless to say, Bob lost $1,000. <laughs> but Bob got something way more valuable than $1,000. He got an experience of the living God answering his prayer when he knocked with chutzpah. And I want to tell you why that story is so significant to me personally. About 15 years ago, a friend of mine named uh, Cheryl 
she read that book that has the Bob story in it. And she felt a prompting from the Spirit of God to take the Bob challenge and pray for months and months for a guy who was out of the ministry. She was praying that he would be restored into the ministry to serve people. And I'm that guy. We're here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God for that. So I get to have these spiritual conversations with you guys, the people that I love so much, you know, because one woman had the wherewithal to take a Bob challenge and pray every day for months and months until her prayer was answered. And so here's what I'm asking you to do. This is not for everyone, but I'm asking some of you to take the Bob challenge today. And I'm asking you to literally, here in just a minute, walk down these aisles and knock on these two doors. There's also a door in the video cafe. I'm asking you to walk down here and knock for what's on your heart. This is the beginning of your Bob challenge to pray for six months every day for that issue that's at the front burner of your heart. I realize some of you are jaded and cynical about God answering your prayer. I want to ask you to just hang on to a little bit of hope and keep knocking for that thing that's on your heart. Some of you are going to come and you're walking down here is that you're asking God, are you even really there? Because God I don't care what anybody else thinks. I just want to know, are you legit? Are you real? Will you please reveal yourself to me? I'm going to knock on this door asking you to reveal yourself to me. And if you're real, I'll believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, God, and I'll welcome you into my life. Others are going to come praying with chutzpah for a job. Others are going to pray for physical healing for yourself or someone else. Some are going to pray for your marriage that is teetering right now. Others of you are going to pray, God, just bring me someone to marry, right? Some are going to pray to get free from depression. Others are going to pray for a friend or relative that you've been wanting to have a relationship with God, but for some reason they're just not buying in, and you're just going to ask God to reveal himself in a special way to them. And chances are, you don't have to think too much to know what your Bob challenge is supposed to be, do you? It's right there at the forefront of your mind. And look, I don't know why it hadn't been answered yet. God doesn't tell me everything. <laughs> but I do know this. You'll never see the answer. You'll never see the freedom unless you're willing to knock with chutzpah and not care about what other people in the room are gonna think about you. So as we sing, I wanna challenge the few of you that have that thing on your mind to stand up from where you are and walk down and knock on one of these doors with some chutzpah. God, we're hoping to bother you in the most respectful way with our knocks. And Lord, some of us, we're going to like damage our knuckles because we're going to keep on knocking until you open the door. And at the same time, even though we know we have to continue to obey you and put the wax on and off, we trust that your heart and intention for us is good. And in the waiting, in the patience, 
we're just trusting that you're building something good into our lives and showing us something that we're going to need in the future when you open that door and answer our prayer. So thank you for your over-the-top grace and goodness to us as a people. We love you for this, and we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.